Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I am Greg, your host, as always, every week. And today we've got a couple different stories we're going to talk about. I've got my pile of pickups. That's what we're going to call it. My pile of pickups. That's the games I bought within the last week. And I have our game of the week, a game that you all should play and try out. I got that set aside already. And we have a user question. So I guess we should just start right away. Um, Before we begin... I just want to say I hope everyone was able to enjoy somewhat of a, of, a, of a longer weekend. If not, of course, yesterday was Memorial Day where we take the time to remember uh, the, the people that fought in our military and gave their life uh, for that. And I think that's important. I think that's something to, to appreciate. Um, and I think it's also okay to take that time to recognize anyone who serves, quite honestly. I think that, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I understand where some people in the military might be offended by being thanked on a day we're supposed to remember those that have fallen, but I feel like any day is appropriate to uh, to, to recognize that service, and I don't understand why <laughs> there'd be a little bit of an uproar on how to properly thank them for their service. But it's just something I was noticing on Twitter and Facebook was that people kept sharing these things about like the proper way to observe Memorial Day. And, and while I certainly use it to... Um, remember my uncle Ed fought in Vietnam and my grandfather Eugene fought in World War II. Um, and I remember them, of course, but I still think it's a good idea to remember and appreciate those that are currently serving too. Why not take every opportunity to do that, I guess, is, is my point there. So I hope everyone took some time to think about it. And I hope that uh, everyone was able to enjoy maybe a little bit of extra time this weekend or maybe some extra time this week because you had to work all weekend. So in any case, hopefully... Hopefully you got some time to yourself. Uh, I've personally, I'm a, I'm on a four day stretch off right now. Actually, this is the last day of a really nice, relaxing weekend. I had a a wedding on Saturday. Actually, it was Jordan's wedding uh, from the drop rate with me. A Jordan's wedding, and then Jeremy, the other member of drop rate, he was the best man. <laughs> so it was a it was a wild it was a wild wedding. It, it was a good time. They were they they live stream some of it on Twitch if you want to see. It. And apparently they zoomed in on me eating a taco for like five minutes. So <laughs> you know. Why not? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, you know, whatever. It's okay that I have massive anxiety about people watching me eat from my previous days of a super mega fat person. But it's okay. It was a wedding. It, it, it's all about being Twitch famous. All about being Twitch famous. So, um, yeah. <laughs> There's that. <laughs> um, okay, so the two stories I want to talk about today. Let me move my windows around a little bit here. There's a, there's some interesting ones. What do we got going on here? Why are we freaking out? Don't freak out. Oh boy, windows are freaking out. I moved from one monitor to another. Windows are freaking out. Oh my goodness. Hey, live show everybody. <laughs> so that's what you get. This is the quality crap you get when you come to Greggy's podcast. You get windows messing up. You get everything. Um, so, uh, let's, let's do this. Uh, I want to start with this first story and, and you'll be, you'll be happy to know that I can only stomach self-promoting for one week. So I made a new end outro video, so you won't see any more of that for me, (laughs) any more of this after every, after every skit. So with that being said, we have two stories. We're going to talk about the first one is something that technically is over a week old. 
But uh, some new news came out about it officially hit the floor, but we're talking about Senator Hawley's anti-loot box legislation that's been introduced. And then we're going to talk about a Famicom RPG that was was unreleased. A prototype of it went up for auction on a Japanese site. The winner paid about uh, almost like thirteen to fifteen thousand dollars for it, and is refusing to dump the ROM so that everyone can enjoy it. And we're going to talk about the different sides of that argument first. So, to begin, uh, we're going to talk about this senator thing. Let me get the setup, and uh, and we'll get the ball rolling. Actually, I'm going to move my windows around again because this really irritates me that I can't see the the stream. <laughs> I gotta I gotta keep this up here. This up here. Okay, now this window resized in. See, this is frustrating to me. I don't know why it's OBS is resizing my windows basically when I'm when I'm uh That's so weird. It's resizing my windows when I change from monitor to monitor, and it shouldn't be doing that. Uh, but hey, you know. <laughs> live, baby. Um, okay, where are we at here? Is this enough? Is this good enough? It's good enough. It's plenty good. Plenty good, y'all. Plenty, plenty good, y'all. Gotta move this over because why not? You wanna be able to see the article we're talking about, I assume. And then destructoids over too far. Eh, well, I guess this one's just gonna be blocked because their stupid website puts everything on the left. So perfect. Perfect. All right. And here we go. So first up on the podcast today, our first story of the day, we're going to be talking about legislation, <laughs> which is, I know, calm down, everybody. Jeans <laughs> tightening. Um, but hey, we're talking about Senator Hawley, a junior senator from Missouri, and his anti-loot box bill, uh, which was just recently introduced to Congress. So let me talk a little bit about it here. Uh, we have a couple different things to talk about here, but let me just run through the story on Destructoid first. And we will uh, we'll go through it. Uh, Josh Hawley, the junior, junior senator from Missouri and currently the youngest member serving in the Senate, has made a name for himself from going after tech giants of Silicon Valley. He has butted heads with Facebook. He wants to make it more difficult for websites to track users and collect their data. That's a good thing. He thinks Instagram and Twitter are parasites that should disappear. Uh, I don't agree with that. Hawley's also not too keen on loot boxes and pay-to-win microtransactions in video games, and yesterday he introduced a bill that would effectively ban them from all video games distributed in the United States. Hawley says the bill is meant to protect minors, but when you look at the actual language of it, it's pretty evident everything from Eve for everyone to M for mature will fall under its restrictions. So before we go any further, the... <laughs> The, the first thing that a lot of people will say when they make this argument, let, let me just be absolutely clear. I hate loot boxes. I hate random loot boxes, just like I hated buying magic cards and packs and getting random cards and watching your friend pull the card you need and you don't get it. You have to buy like 20, 30 packs. It's still a thing. It's always going to be a thing when it comes to cards. And I hated it then and I hate it now. I hate, hate loot boxes especially like like the the Rocket League ones where you have to buy keys to open loot boxes to get loot and then you get sometimes the same loot, right? So then when you get the same loot, you have to uh, you know, trade you can trade it for someone. No, no thank you. I don't want it. I don't I don't like it. No thank you. And so I just want to put that out there. And I understand that the majority of people 
on these gaming sites and, and that listen to podcasts of hate loot boxes as well. Like, I totally get that. So this is not a pro loot box argument, okay? But it is an anti-government regulation <laughs> comment. So let us, let's get into it. Let's crack into it. The bill takes aim at two types of games. The first type are games for the general audience. This covers any title where the publisher or distributor has constructive knowledge that some users are under the age of 18. So first of all, let's look at the wordage here. This covers any title where the publisher or distributor has constructive knowledge. What's constructive knowledge? Okay, that's a loose term. That some users, some users, is so 10%, 20%, 50%, some users are under the age of 18. So this isn't just about the kids. And that's an argument that I see made most of the time is that, well, this is about the kids, you know, kids and gambling and all stuff. I understand gambling addiction is real. And I understand that using manipulative tactics at a young age can get people sunk into that. So I'm not I'm not denying any of that. Okay, so don't don't come after me with like this, you know, oh, you don't realize how addictive and damaging that can be to a family because I absolutely do. However, when you don't like loot boxes, you're willing to take any argument that fits your narrative. And right now, the argument that is best for everyone is, yeah, loot boxes is gambling and we shouldn't let kids gamble. And so I would agree that I don't think kids should gamble, but is as much as I hate them is 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 going to a casino and putting money on blackjack the exact or into a slot machine is that the exact same as playing a video game and looking for random items because the argument could be made that loot boxes you win every time right so there's like these um these prize these, these hook games right the claw games that you play till you win or or you put your money like for instance you put your money into one of those stupid bubble plastic coin things you turn the crank and you get one do you ever you don't get to pick which one you get it's randomized but it doesn't mean that you gambled i mean it's not you know it might not be the same that's all i'm trying to say so there are other aspects of life that have randomization and randomization doesn't always mean gambling because you're technically winning every time you open a loot box um again i hate loot boxes i'm gonna say it like a hundred times during this because i i really really hate loot boxes but that doesn't mean that we should have the government regulate them okay so anyway let, let us continue Th those are my first issues right away any title where the publisher has constructive knowledge that some users are under the age of 18 so if you know like if you could say well yeah uh you know based on our whatever forum statistics our forums say that the average you know user of our forum age is 16 so we have constructive knowledge that some users are under the age of 18 the next, we talk about the second total is the second are minor oriented games, which the bill broadly defines. So these are games that are minor oriented. So now they're saying, well, there's there's the games that generally cover mature games, but that cover that might have kids playing. And then here's strictly like games for kids. And so it says uh, it's defined as interactive digital entertainment product for which the target audience is individuals under the age of 18 as may be demonstrated by a the subject matter of the product okay so and i'm just gonna throw this out here as not as a brony myself so there's a my little pony game that has microtransactions in it the majority of people playing it are over 18 year old men <laughs> being bronies but that subject matter is for kids what does that mean does that mean a cartoon so does that mean if they made a batman animated game that 
I mean, does that mean that that subject matter is for kids because it's a cartoon? How many of us adults watch cartoons still? Is it anime going to be considered uh, a subject matter of a game that can't be, you know, what I mean? you get what I'm saying at here? And, and this really interesting thought, because uh, the next point, the visual content of the product, most games, especially indie games nowadays, use a very simplified art style to get over the production costs of having incredibly detailed character models. So you see this very minimalistic and simplistic. Look, Fortnite's a great example. Other games similar to that. That's an, that's an art style. As much as I personally don't care for it, that's an art style. So is that going to be considered something that would make it a kid's game just because it has a cartoony-looking art style? That's kind of how broad this is. You could see someone making that argument. C, the music or audio content of the product. So what if it's a game that's like a horror-themed game, but it has nursery rhymes in it to creep you out? Is a nursery rhyme, that's music that is content that's aimed towards kids? You see what I'm going at with this, right? D, the use of animated characters or activities that appeal to individuals under the age of 18. Again, so under the age of 18 is so ridiculous too because we're talking about 16 to 18-year-olds like, like what a 16-year-old likes and what a 5-year-old likes are completely different. But you're going to loop, you know, lump that all into the same sort of thing. So next we have the age of the characters or models in the product. <laughs> so now if you have a game where you have kids in it, but there's loot boxes, then that means that it's going to be considered a kid's game. The presence in the product of celebrities who are under the age of 18, celebrities who appear to, to individuals, celebrities who appear to individuals under the age of 18. So even if you're not an eight under 18 celebrity, but you look and appear to be under 18, that can make a game considered a kid's game. Oh my goodness. This like keeps getting worse. Uh, celebrities who appeal to individuals under the age of 18. What does that even mean? Could you argue that, that PewDiePie is an individual who, who appeals to individuals under the age of 18? So if there's a PewDiePie game, that is rated M for mature and is only for adults, but because he has audience members under that, that they're going to play it. And that's, that's their fault. You see where we're going, right? This is ridiculous. I'm just going to keep going here. The language used in the product, the content of materials used to advertise the product and the platforms on which such materials appear. I'll actually kind of agree with that because if you're advertising only on like Disney kids or XD kids or whatever, like, yes, yes. Then you're obviously trying to get the kids to play. Other reliable empirical evidence relating to the composition of the audience the or the audience of the product as intended by the publisher or other evidence demonstrating that the product is targeted at individuals under the age of 18. Okay. Um, so any game that meets that extensive and frankly all-encompassing definition would be banned from including loot boxes and pay-to-win microtransactions if their product reaches more than 1,000 users annually. Pay-to-win mechanics defined in the bill include paying to get an upper hand on other players, paying to unlock something you could earn through normal gameplay, or paying to ease your progression through the game. It would not include difficulty levels, add-on content, or cosmetic items. However, if the latter item is only earned through a loot box and is considered a feature of the product, it would be banned. Publishers would also be prohibited from adding in those mechanics after a game launches. So let's talk about this for instance. Let's say um, it would not include add-on content and cosmetic items. However, if the latter item is only earned through a loot box and considered a feature of the product. So 
let's say what is it only loot boxes again this is so vague this is what's frustrating or is it just random drops what if you have a boss that only has like a one percent chance to drop items something like a world of warcraft dungeon i mean could could someone make the argument that bosses in world of warcraft are are loot are, are loot crates <laughs> because you know and you don't obviously buy them that's something you have to achieve through skill but you understand like where we're, we're planting seeds here on schools of thought and and once that thought gets i don't i don't like to use the the, the basic term slippery slope but that's kind of where we're going with something like this like you're starting at the top and it's like well where will people take this once you set a precedent that this is okay to to be here and so uh, it goes on to talk about the bill can be read here in its entirety. It currently has two co-sponsors and Senator Ed Markey of Massachusetts and Senator Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut. Mr. Blumenthal is no stranger to tackling the video game industry before he was elected to the Senate. Blumenthal filed an amicus brief with the Supreme Court for Brown versus EMA. It is unclear how far this bill will go. It has bipartisan support, and I imagine many people reading this right now are pumping their fists at the idea. Intrusive loot boxes and pay-to-win mechanisms could soon be a thing of the past for Americans. In an interview with Kotaku's Jason Schreier, Hawley said, that's the senator, he believes video game companies are worried. So let's take a look at this. Let's take a look at this. Um, that's the next article we're going to talk about. We're going to move on to Hawley's interview with Jason Schreier. And this was on the 21st. So this is a week ago today. Um, is Republican Senator Josh Hawley an advocate for video game players or an ambitious politician with a savvy staff who knows a win-win argument when they see one? The freshman senator from Missouri, who plans to soon introduce a bill, is now introduced. If this loot box bill passes as, as proposed, it will make it a findable offense for publishers to put loot boxes in games that target children or are played by children. It will also ban pay-to-win mechanics in those games. In a short phone interview on Monday, I asked Hawley some questions about whether this loot box bill can pass how it came about, and whether it's just a publicity stunt. You can read the interview here, lightly edited for clarity. Um, so first, Jason Schreier asks, first of all, I'm curious, do you have a personal stake in the issue? Is this something you've encountered in video games you've played? To which he replies, I have to be honest with you, Jason, I am not myself a gamer. So it does not stem from my personal experience. It stems from being a parent of two little boys and talking to lots of parents and also nearing, by the way, and also hearing, by the way, from lots of gamers who are concerned about what the C-suite is doing here, basically adding casinos to children's games. Schreier then asked, do you do your kids play games with loot boxes in them? And Holly replies, they do not yet. They're six and four, so they're not playing any video games at the moment. But I've heard from lots of parents who say their kids, the stories about all of a sudden these changes. What are these weird changes? Uh, excuse me, what are the charges? What are these weird charges on my card? I thought I already paid for the game. How about... How is it I'm being asked to pay more? Did I authorize this? How did the kid buy it? We've heard from gamers too talk about this ruining the integrity of the game by essentially changing the way the game works. So let me just stop there for a second because, again, we hear this all the time. We need to ban violent games. We need to ban all this stuff because parents can't properly teach their kids. Now, it seems like the senator himself has a six and four year old who he does not allow to play games. But now he's talked. But he's talked to parents. Anecdotal evidence that he's talked to parents and he's talked to gamers that all hate loot boxes. And and the concern isn't that they hate loot boxes. No, no. The concern is that it's about the kids. Remember, we t I've said this many times on this podcast. It's about it's about the kids. It's for the kids, man. We got to save the kids. It's like you don't care about the kids. Just be honest about it. You don't like loot boxes, and you'll take any chance to get rid of them. And that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. I I don't care. But just understand that like you're being a hypocrite if you're lying about it. Just be honest about it. Say, you know what, I don't care. I'll do anything to get rid of loot boxes, even if I have to shield myself behind this child. 
So Schreier then goes on to ask, you mentioned parents finding charges from their kids suddenly showing up on their credit card bills. That can happen a lot with microtransactions that aren't loot boxes. Why focus specifically on loot boxes? To which Holly replies, both loot boxes and pay to win. We think the reason why is that it's foremost addiction development. It's an attempt for kids to, as I said before, adding casinos to kids games in an attempt to get them hooked in an attempt to exploit them. We don't allow actual casinos to exploit children in this way. Why should we allow the gaming industry to do so? These C-suite executives who are driving this trend. I don't know what that means, C-suite. I'll have to be honest. I don't know what he's talking about. There must just be like executives, game executives or something. I don't know. So uh, I, I understand where he's coming from here a little bit, and I will I will yield this to the point where, yes, I, I think that you should not be using gaming uh, gambling tendencies in games that are meant for little kids or even, I mean, if, if an adult wants to like say a game like candy crush, but you know that like as much candy crush sells like a bajillion, you know, that a lot of those people playing that are kids. And so you're trying to get them into this mindset of you can only play so much and you have to wait, but if you don't want to wait, you could pay us money. Now, again, is that the same thing as gambling though? You know, and I understand loot boxes, what he's focusing on loot boxes, and randomness, but you're technically getting a prize every time. So is there, there is a difference between gambling and randomization and random prizes. I, I do feel like that. Again, I hate loot boxes. I should have like an alert here. I hit my stream deck and be like, beep, beep, you know, fourth time, fifth time. Greg hates loot boxes, you know, because I hate loot boxes. Uh, and and, I, and I, I can't I can't stress enough that I want loot boxes gone. <laughs> so I, I I wish the industry would find a better way. But legislation's not that better way. So anyway, they go on to say, uh, Schreier asks, why focus specifically on children? Adults can't also be, or he asks, adult can't also be exploited by these casinos? To which Holly replies, adults can for sure be exploited. I think that children, there are a couple things we know in a variety of contexts, whether it's casinos proper or public health issues. We often look at kids and say they're uniquely vulnerable. They don't necessarily know the nature of these microtransactions being on the lookout for them in the way that an adult might. And while I realize that these microtransactions, these particular kinds, compromise the integrity of the game no matter who is subject to them, there's something I think that's pretty unique to kids and the addiction angle I think is pretty unique to kids as well. So this is an area too where I think we ought to be able to come together on a bipartisan basis and say, look, when you're directing this sort of pro-addiction activity, pro-addiction behavior towards children or practices towards children, we ought to be able to say no to that. I'm going to agree with them here. I'm going to totally agree with that. If it's exploitive of kids and you're purposely trying to get them into this hook scheme, I, I understand. But again, this bill doesn't, it, it just says loot boxes and microtransactions. Microtransactions, you know, I mean, DLC add-ons used to be microtransactions. You know, I know it says that it bans cosmetic loot, but microtransactions is a very broad term that I don't know. I, I mean, loot boxes are specific at least but microtransactions aren't there what what what's a microtransaction it's it's small little purchasable things in a game that that, that could be a weapon it could be anything it could, and again they said no cosmetic items but it is cosmetic items are are microtransactions as well as our non-cosmetic items so they had to like specify that so Schreier goes on to ask, have you been in conversation with the ESA, the video games lobbyist group, or any other video game companies about how this might impact them? And he said, yes, we have. And Schreier said, can you describe the nature of these conversations? To which senior policy advisor Jacob 
Reses or Reeses, who was on the conference call, said, this is Jacob here. I think it's fair to say the industry has concerns about this. We've been trying to be very transparent with them, but there may be some difference of opinion. Uh, to which Hawley says, Jacob's being very diplomatic. And Schreier says, yes, any elaboration you can make here? I ask because I pay a lot of attention to these financial calls that these companies have. And EA, for example, is very reliant on the loot box income that comes in from FIFA games. A lot of these companies are very reliant on this stuff. Holly replies, and FIFA would indeed be covered by this legislation, to be clear. They've certainly expressed their, shall we say, concern over this legislation, but I think that's probably a good indication that we're getting somewhere. Schreier then asks, do you think you're getting somewhere? I've seen cynicism from financial analysts from people in the game sphere, skepticism that this will actually pass. Certainly some concerns that this might just be a publicity stunt. To which Hawley replied, I think if they thought it was a publicity stunt, they wouldn't be so concerned. I think the reaction of a corporate lobbyist sort of strongly suggests that they're very worried about this. I think it probably also suggests that they know this practice is not going to stand up to public scrutiny. Once parents really understand what's going on here, and once the general public understands how these games are being manipulated, how their integrity is being compromised, and how basically these companies have found a way to make whole gobs of money without really being upfront about it, and of course the addictive nature of it, I think they're pretty worried that it's going to result in public uh, backlash, and it should. Schreier then replied, public backlash is one thing, but I can't imagine that many of your colleagues in Congress know enough or care enough about video games. Can this actually get traction among those folks? To which Holly replies, I think everybody, though, cares about the health and safety of kids, and they should care about this broader problem of what I've started calling the addiction economy which this is a great example. We see this in other spheres, by the way. We see it in social media. We're seeing it here in the gaming industry. And you've got these corporations finding new ways to try to hook folks, extract personal information from them in the case of social media, extract money of them in the case of games without regard to what that does to either in case of the gaming or the game itself, and then to people's general health and well-being. So I think there's a lot of concern about that, and we hope to drive a conversation in this space. <clears throat> so before I continue, I want to say something about that as well. So... Schreier makes a good point and says, do people actually care about video game loot boxes? And and he says, well, no, probably not, but people do care about kids. <laughs> so now we will have a whole bunch of senators and 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 congress congress people who don't know anything about how this stuff works going, oh yeah, addictive stuff for kids. Yeah, it's that's easy, man. Let's just not let's just ban it. Let's, we don't know anything about it, but let's ban it. It hurts kids, you said? Okay, yeah, let's ban it. So this, this is frustrating. This is frustrating. Um, so we've got a few more questions here. I want to get through this. Uh, Schreier then uh, states, previous attempts to regulate the video game industry, most infamously in 2010 or 2011, with a Supreme Court case about violent video games have all failed. I believe a state senator in Hawaii was looking to introduce loot box legislation that also failed. So I guess you'll have to count me as skeptical <laughs> as this has how much of a chance of getting traction in Congress. Holly then says, we'll see. Certainly the reception we've gotten from parents from and from gamers has been absolutely tremendous. And we intend to push forward. I think this is something that people should be aware of. I think it's an issue that more and more people are going to care about as they learn about, and it'll be the start of a broader conversation. He even says it himself. It's a start of a broader conversation. About what? A broader conversation about, well, so let's say that they follow these rules in any game that you know might be marketed towards kids. Well, Fortnite is basically marketed towards kids. It has guns in it. And, uh, okay, well, kids can't play it anymore. Fortnite's banned. Oh, PUBG. Well, PUBG is aimed towards adults, but they have 
they have Steam data that says that people between the ages of 15 and 17 play it, so PUBG's banned. Call of Duty Black Ops 4 has kids playing. Oh, that's banned. Anything that even remotely resembles anything going towards a kid is banned if that subject is deemed damaging to that child. And again, what's a child, right? What's a child? Is a child eight under eight of 18? <laughs> I mean... My goodness, you know, 16, 15, 16, 17, they're, they're still children at this point where like they're, they're, they need to be protected. Um, and maybe that is a case. I don't know. I, I do feel like we've, our, our growth as a society is being stunted. Like kids seem to be kids into their twenties now when, you know, I felt like I left the house, you know, I think I left the house at like 19 or 20, you know, I stayed there for the year I went to college and then left eventually after that. And then, you know, but now you see some kids staying at home till 23, 24, 25, you know, so maybe they're still kids. Maybe 20, maybe it needs to be 25 and under are kids. I don't know. This is the point, though, is that it's, it's, it's too vague. You can't, it, when they use these vague terms, all they're doing is causing, um, they're leaving it open for interpretation. And whoever interprets it could interpret it any different way. So it might even not even be what people are considering in the beginning. So Schreier then goes on to say, Republican philosophy is general all about personal accountability. Microtransactions. Nobody's forced to pay for them or buy loot boxes. Why not let the free market decide their fate? To which Hawley replies, well, similarly, as with casinos, we don't allow children to go into casinos. We very carefully control, regulate what our children are exposed to. This is well within the model. This is something every parent should care about. And I actually don't think that exerting when people understand that what's essentially happening here is online gambling being inserted into these games. I think a concern about to which Schreier interrupts kudos to him, I suppose, but that's not what you're talking about here. Your bill also includes pay to win games, which are not gambling. They're paying for perks in a game to which Holly replies similar though. Once again, it's a microtransaction that's not necessarily expected, especially from a child up front. So now, now we're leaking into something else. So now we're leaking into, well, what, so an, a microtransaction, what about DLC? So you bought a game for 60 bucks and then a year later, they're going to release a $10 extra mission for ghost recon or something that wasn't expected when they bought the game. So now that microtransaction is outlawed. What? You know, he's, th this is the problem. Like just his lack of understanding how this thing works is a problem. Uh, so then Schreier goes on to say, what would you say to a video game company that says, hey, without these things, you're going to cause us to crash and cause this entire industry to fold? And to which Holly replies, these are very resourceful people, and I'm sure they can design games that don't rely on gambling directed at children in the center of the game. I'll give them a little bit of that. Like, I'll, I'll give them that, that, that the gaming industry can survive without it. There are plenty of games, especially we're seeing this kind of indie revolution come back. And so there is this sort of, there, there is this this comeback to a normal sense of you can still make games without that. Now, will those games make as much money? No. <laughs> I mean, that that's what it comes down to. They're making the games that make them the most money, which are games that have microtransactions. Like they said, FIFA makes them the most money because of their weird, like, buy packs of cards thing. Madden makes them a ton of money because of that. Like, that's, that's what they're going to do while they can. So then your argument could be, well, Greg, why not ban it? and force the companies to make those great games without microtransactions again. Because, like he says, they're resourceful. They're going to find a new way to plug you for money, dude. And here's what's probably going to happen with this bill if it gets passed. So the ESA is a lobbying group for the video game industry, right? 
video game publishers most notably, they're going to come out and they're going to say, we'll give you a whole bunch of money. You, you get this bill passed. It's fine, but we want these amendments. We want it not to include sports games because sports betting is allowed. We want it not to include this, this, or this, and they'll get something changed. So it doesn't affect them because that's what lobbying does. You know, a good lobbyist doesn't try to completely stop dead in the water. They try to let the law go through destroy the competition that isn't a part of their lobbyist group while allowing the people they are lobbying for to be successful. And so here we are. <laughs> so, and again, it's just, you know, okay. And then the PR guy steps in Mike Berg. Hey, Jason, we got time for one more question. So as Jason replies, something I've actually personally curious about, and this is not related, but I know you count Peter Thiel among your contributors. Have you ever talked about what it was like to try to obliterate my company to which Holly replies, we have not. So I don't have any personal information there. Uh, what, what is this? Let me hold on. What is this? Oh, so Peter Thiel, apparently Gawker owns Kotaku. I knew that, uh, in May Forbes broke the news that Silicon Valley investor, Peter Thiel bankrolled Hulk Hogan's infamous sex tape lawsuit against the now bankrupt Gawker. You might be wondering, so what, why should I care? Chris, are the Thiel's money gives other billionaires a blueprint for how to, uh, okay, well, I don't understand that. But anyway, I guess that was a joke. <laughs> a joke that's right over my head, so that's fine. So, okay, let me go back to this because the first article where we talked a little bit about it, there were some comments. And I want to go over these comments a little bit. Um, this first one, which has 42 upvotes, uh, got my attention right away. And there's a little bit of hypocrisy here, so let's go through. And again, it's just an internet user, so it's fine. But he says, you know what? I have no sympathy for the industry or ESA over this. They've had months and years to get their shit together and try to put a stop to this, but they decided not to, and this is the result. I'm not in favor of government regulating media like this, but this is what it takes to keep microtransactions out of $60 games, then fine. And if it means losing mobile games like Pokemon Go, Fire Emblem's Hero, then so be it. Okay. So first of all, this isn't just about $60 games. So first of all, get that is a, is a moot argument. And if it means losing mobile games like these ones I've noted that I probably don't play, then so be it. You know, if he liked these games and cared about them, he'd be fighting for them. So it's fine. Uh, but there was another one here. Um, let me, it was something about, uh, uh, where was it here? Yep. Here we go. No pity for the sweatshops that are the triple A game industry. May their skeletons be brought to light. So if you leave, if you read this, he's talking about the sweatshops that are triple A game industry. So he's talking about workers rights and how they feel he feels, or she feels that, uh, they're manipulated. Okay. And that they're taken advantage of. Okay. So the answer to that question then is burn the whole industry down, which would result in hundreds of thousands of job loss. Yeah. That's, that's great. That is a, that is a grade a argument there, buddy stupidest stupidest thing i've read all day <laughs> so let's 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 destroy the triple a game industry so that because they have crappy worker environments and then let's not have jobs for all these people who are in the game industry making the games that you try to enjoy <sighs> you know it's it's so frustrating to me that uh, that this is the basic understanding uh, this person goes on to make my point. There are a lot of problems with the way this bill is written, but I wouldn't miss anything the bill 
purports to dispose of. In a perfect world, the sketchy microtransaction practice will be re replaced by no-cost, user-friendly options. But ultimately, this is probably close closer to cutting off one head of the Hydra. <laughs> and then this uh, and then this person, and considering how the AAA goons will fight tooth and nail to prevent this bill from ever getting approved, it'll be like signing a document in triplicate for a sword license and a Hydra slaying license before our brave hero is even allowed to take one swing at the eight-headed click beast. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, th this argument's not, it's not a good argument. And again, don't hide behind the kids. At least the senator, I will admit, is is focusing on the kids angle but then they made the they made the bill too broad where it's leaking so heavily into non-kid games and that's going to cause a real problem so to, in, in closing with all of this i just want to say my, my point on this has not changed and it will probably not change anytime soon i respect and appreciate that gambling addiction is a real thing it affects people not the majority of people. In fact, it's quite the minority of people that affects that play video games are affected by any sort of video game addiction, uh, gambling addiction. So, yes, do I wish that the ESA and, and the big guys like EA, Activision, and Ubisoft, I do, do I wish they could come together and figure out a way to, to lighten these loot box issues and, and to appease people and to do it in a way that isn't so abrasive so that we wouldn't have people wanting government intervention? Yes. Is it ever going to happen? Probably not. You know, part of why there are regulations in the government, or the government creates regulations, I should say, is because companies don't step up. And I, I'm the first to admit this. I wish the companies would handle themselves. Because, you know, they have to make protections about dumping toxic waste in the water because it's cheaper to dump toxic waste in the water than it is to pay a company to take care of it. And, and a company is going to do what it can to make the most money it can and save the money it can. So you can't like, and that's the company, right? And that doesn't mean that the CEO and the other people couldn't come together and say, we can be responsible as a company and still make money. They can, but will they? I mean, probably not, probably not, but we should never want government regulation. This is a first step in what then would become the, the video game industries. You know, one of the things I always say about this is I love about the video game industries. We got to see it grow up you know and i know not everybody but myself i watched it be a, a nothing niche thing and blow up into the pop culture icon that it is today so we're unfortunately we have to watch the growing pains with that as well and i, I watched the stuff in the 90s i remember that when when it was the the violence act and that's why the esa came up with the esrb rating system as a way to say look we'll we'll handle regulating we'll get the big retailers like gamestop walmart to sign on to this best buy target they won't sell games to minors that are rated m for mature they have made strides okay and 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 so to, to argue that they haven't done anything to avoid regulation would be false but this is the new age and so the esa does have to step up in my opinion and they need to figure this out because this is only going to keep happening this is only going to get worse no matter how many times these fail there's always going to be someone introducing a new one and eventually they're going to get to a point where they can get it passed Whew, I did not expect to talk about that that long, but I'm glad I did because it's helping burn up some time. <laughs> so uh, since I only had two topics, I was a little nervous about the time. But let's see here. Uh, let's see here. I'm going to move over this. And we're going to see about this Twitter thing. Can I do this? Is that okay? Yeah, let's just do this. Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? It's live. Uh, yeah, and, and so just a final thought on the uh, loot boxes thing. Again, I totally understand why people hate loot boxes and it's fine to hate them, but let's not let's not lie and say it's for the kids. Let's talk about what it really is. We just don't like the practice and we shouldn't support it. It's just like the unionization of game developers thing. 
and, and I actually almost retweeted this out yesterday, but I didn't because it was Memorial Day and I'm trying not to be a total ass bag. But someone tweeted something about, you know, it says, um, you know, uh, gamers. And it says something like, you know, take care of your employees. We, you know, we don't, we don't want, you know, you should unionize. They should unionize and, and take better care of your workers. And then below it says also gamers. And it's like a picture of. Um, someone making a comment at like a games or being like ship my game with them being lazy and stuff, you know? And, and, and so the, the point though was that we could fix everything. Us, the consumer could fix everything wrong in the game industry, but we can't all agree. We're all individuals and we're never going to agree that we'll not buy any game that has microtransactions in it. If we could agree on that and then we all stopped buying rocket league or PUBG or, or any of those games, and they stopped making money, they would find a new way to try to trick us into spending money. So it, it, it just doesn't really change anything. Um, but yeah, so I just don't want government regulation in it. And I'm not a small government guy uh, necessarily. I, I, I think regulations do where it's due, but I'd always rather see the industry regulate itself first. I, I'm a fan of personal accountability. And I want I want personal accountability from the companies that make these things to understand that they've been taking and taking, they've been skirting a line for a long time. They have to realize it and they have to turn it around before it becomes too big a deal. So next up on the podcast, this might be an unpopular opinion, but I want to talk first about this story of this is not the only website I could find that actually did an article about it because I wanted to get the gist of the story and I have some tweets I want to go through. But basically it seems like over the weekend, I think over the weekend or the last couple of days, May 26th. Yeah, over the last couple days, a prototype for an unreleased Famicom RPG called Indie the Magical Kid appeared at auction. And so, actually, it was probably about a week or so ago I was on auction, and then it went through. And the reason I'm talking about the story is because a private seller ended up outbidding uh, a crowdfunded attempt to purchase the game so they could dump the ROM and preserve it. And and I am a fan of game preservation, uh, certainly. I think we want to keep these things around as long as we can. Uh, and so this one was an interesting story because this forest of illusion, I, must have been the person who started the crowdfunding, tweeted out, I regret to inform that we have lost the auction on the canceled Famicom slash NES game Indie the Magical Kid. It ended up selling for a total of 1,500,000 yen, <laughs> which is approximately thirteen to fifteen thousand dollars with a hundred and thirty bids so that's that's where this thing went a lot of people wanted this we quite simply didn't have enough funds sad face and it's kind of sad um because an unreleased game could be really cool that we never heard of even unreleased in japan it's not like it came out in japan and was unreleased here like this is straight up never came out anywhere and we don't even know the condition of the prototype. We don't know how complete it was, things like that. Uh, Force of Illusion goes on to say, that's another prototype that we'll likely never see again. We would like to thank any, everyone who shared our initial tweet and everyone who pledged donations. To the few who donated early, your donations have been refunded. Thank you. So it was a crowdfunding that people pledged donations and made donations. They were bidding, and then people were able to get a refund if they did pledge, but since they didn't win the auction. So it was held honestly and upfront, which is great. To make things worse, the winner of the auction left an anonymous message saying he bought it to stop, quote, copy sales and dumps. Nice. That's what Forest of Illusion says. Nice. So I think that was a very sarcastic nice. I don't believe him to think it's actually nice. <laughs> um, uh, and then he, they go on to say, I'm 
I hope he is happy that he spend 1.5 million yen on a video game just so nobody can dump it. Quote, I will always protect it as a Japanese treasure, end quote, is what he says. This is insane. Again, that was Forest of Illusions tweets. And, hmm, yeah, okay, let's get through the rest of it, and I guess I'll throw out some opinion there. Um, so then um, BYUU on Twitter uh, tweets out, this is how game preservation ends. We all raised over $7,000 to try and preserve this unreleased Famicom prototype. It just sold for $13,750. Also, a collector could put it on their shelf to bit rot, secure in the knowledge no one else will ever be allowed to play it. Sad face. It's, I think that's a little dramatic. This is how game preservation ends. No, I don't think that's fair. And I actually think that uh, one of the one of the tweets here, I think actually even says, maybe I did I close it already. One of the tweets even here says, yeah, SNES Central. I have said this before. We should focus on what we can save and move on from things we can't. This is disappointing, but also remember, seven unreleased SNES games and soon to be eight have been free freely released this year already. We will find more. So I I agree with that, and and not that you can't be upset over the loss. I think that's fair. I think it's fair for them to be disappointed because they wanted to find this game, dump it, translate it, make it available for people to play. And so I don't give them a hard time at all. I, I'm not giving him a hard time at all. Um, him or her, sorry, I don't know. Be Bayou San, Um, but I think it's a little dramatic to say this is how game preservation ends. It was it was a noble effort to raise seven thousand dollars to try to preserve it. Um, maybe what these game preservationists need, just like artifacts that go into museums, they need rich benefactors that are willing to put down $15,000 to get a prototype and then let them dump it. Uh, and I think the reason for not, the reason that person bought it and then isn't dumping it, I'm sorry, I know this is unpopular. I think that's fair. Someone who is a collector, and I think it's a little unfair to say, to put it on a shelf to bit rot, secure in the knowledge. Like He's acting like this person was a cartoon villain. And that they purposely bought this just so no one else could have it. And and while that might be why they bought it, they might have been a huge fan. This might have been an employee who worked on the game. You don't know who it was. And so, and it could just be a game collector who wants to have everything. It could be someone who wants to buy it. Maybe they'll dump the ROM, have that, and then resell the game for a profit, and then release the ROM or something. We don't know. But I think it's a little I think it's a little overdramatic. I just have to be honest. And it goes on to say it is uh Bayou Sun goes on to say it isn't even this specific game. It's the precedent set. Even as a community, we can no longer fundraise to these exorbitant levels to preserve even obscure titles. We've been effectively priced out of the market. I, this is one time, you know, I mean, like this is one they've saved. I mean, they've unreleased. They've saved. This has happened before. They've always gotten to do it. This was one time and it's very obscure and it's a Japanese RPG. It's very, very obscure. I, I don't know. I just feel like it's a little bit of an overreaction. While we're on the subject, I'd like to just reiterate that every single new game I've found and every scan I've created has been made publicly available. My approach is no different than no intro, redump, etc. I abhor, I abhor hoarding, and I'll do everything I legally can to save games. This is all easily proven factual via, via SNES Central and datomatic.nointro.org, but we unfortunately live in a time where those with ill intent can just keep repeating false claims over and over, without consequences until others believe it. Are people accusing him of not doing the same thing? Is that what's happening here? Uh, 
No, okay. Uh, well, apparently people are always challenging. Well, let's take a look at this and see what some of the people are saying. Um, <laughs> there's always the very, very slim chance it's another uh, preservationist. Well, how do you know it's a slim chance? Come on. Maybe there's a class problem here. Maybe it's not a good thing that any individual feels so comfortable that they'll drop 14000 on a video game. I think that's ridiculous. I think we can spend any amount of money on anything that brings us joy, and I really don't see a problem with that. Um, now, I brought up uh, Josh Fairhurst. So Josh is the um, head of Limited Run Games, so somebody who makes a living uh, making limited print and hard-to-find rare items. He replied, the buyer apparently wants to prevent reproduction carts from being sold. While it sucks that this game won't be preserved, I have to admit that I was astounded by how quick people were to start selling reproductions of the recent dumps of UWC and SimCity NES. And that's a great point. So UWC was that unreleased wrestling game I talked about a few months ago. And SimCity NES was an unreleased NES prototype. So yes, as much as it sucks, again, I'm kind of with Josh here. As much as that sucks, there is a reason why somebody might want to do this. Josh goes on to say it's probably a strong opinion, but I think people monetizing these dumps by selling reproductions are partly to blame for people's reluctance to allow their prototypes and unreleased games to be dumped. Yes, I think that's 100% it. And if there wasn't such a quick market and such an easy way to take an, a, a dump, you know, <laughs> to take a dump, to dump a ROM game, it is easy to take dumps sometimes. <laughs> Um, so then though, I wanted to go a little further because there were some weird comments like, wait, so the buyer doesn't want people to profit off of repro cards. So instead decides no one gets to experience it. I'll never understand the mentality that because some people will abuse a good thing. We should just get rid of the good thing entirely. That ultimately does the most harm. I don't disagree with that, except that it's not like the person bought it and then destroyed it. It still exists. It just exists in that person's collection. It happens with art all the time, which to someone else makes a, uh, a comment down here that, uh, you know, or, or someone else on Twitter made a comment about, well, you know, I buy art reproductions of A Starry Night and that doesn't decrease the value of the original. We're talking about very old paintings compared to an unreleased video game. So let's, we're, yes, they're collectibles, but this is not the same level of collecting yet. Reproductions absolutely do affect the market. And and I'm sorry, it's, it's the truth. As someone who buys and sells video games for a living, I can tell you that, yes, prices will typically, reproductions will usually tank the price initially, but then the prices usually bounce back. Earthbound bounced back. Yes, people aren't wrong when they say that. There's tons of Earthbound repros out there. But some games that don't bounce back, the Mario Party games, Mario Kart, those N64 repros that hit the market really strong like a couple years ago, and it was at last year, April, the year before, that has affected the long-term price of those SNES games. Now, again, are they rare collectibles? No. Would this price of this be affected by the ROM being dumped? I don't know. If you could argue that this is the only copy of the game in existence, I don't think dumping the ROM would affect that. But what's really going to affect it is if someone finds another prototype. Or if they're now that people know where to look, maybe they found one and know what company might have had it or what. Now they'll maybe someone looks at this auction and goes, holy crap, I have one of those. I can get 13000 bucks for it. I'm going to put mine on the auction site. And so we might even see another one pop up very soon. And then once you have two, guess how much that goes for? It usually goes for less, and it's going to decrease the value. Maybe they can get the next one. The The idea that only one prototype of this exists is probably more far-fetched than, than any other idea that the person is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's way more far-fetched to believe that there's only one copy of this prototype in existence. 
So I, I, I really believe it. We'll probably see another one pop up. Maybe someone else who's got one in a personal collection will, will dump it and then keep it in their personal collection and not sell it. Or maybe they'll do what I think someone else did this recently. There was like a crowd, like a crowd fund for, um, you know, someone who had a game who'd bought it and they're like, Hey, we'll give you $7,000 if you like dump the ROM and then they pay them to basically dump it. Um, so, uh, this person goes on to say, that's why I don't support retro game reproductions. The other main reason is people profiting off the work of people who made ROM hacks and translations without compensating them. Very true. I typically only buy ROM hacks from the actual creators. Um, you people, yeah, people almost feel entitled to these unreleased ROMs. Like you want to be Robin Hood and dump it, pay the money for it. So this person's a little harsh on it, but that's kind of what they tried to do. To which Justin replies, not as entitled as these man children that spend all that money just to hoard the rarities. So again, I don't understand why the video game industry people are eating each other. And this is again now. So now we're going back to the uh, people who buy video games for a lot of money were are man children. Okay, so man children that spend hoard rarities and spend all that money in a video game so that now we're going back to the video gamers, our kids. We live in our parents' basement. I mean, this article here did the same thing. It said, um, where was it here? It said something like, where was it? It just said something. It was like another dig on something like that. Uh, um, let's see here. Uh, I can't find it, but basically this article did. Oh yeah. Okay. Odds are good that wh wherever this collector lives, the indie, the magical kid prototype will remain in his basement until the day he dies. Okay. So we're all, we're all basement dwelling, uh, nerd man children again. Why are people in the gaming game collecting industry calling each other out again? And, and like feeding into these garbage things. That person could be that person who bought that could be the biggest humanitarian on the planet. They could be donating millions of dollars a year to charities that save hundreds of thousands of kids in Africa. You don't know that. Okay, so just to assume that he's a, a selfish man baby in his parents' basement who spends $15,000 a game is just stupid. And I'm, I'm sick of this auto attack going on just because someone wanted to spend the money on it. And so, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. But I don't, see how, I don't see how it's being entitled if you bought something and you want to keep it to yourself. I'm sorry. I don't think that's entitled. I think that's poor usage. Um, are are a general are are there people in this in this hobby that are generally selfish people? Yes. I mean, haven't you run across anybody who wants to sell something for over eBay value and then when they want to buy something from you, they want it at half eBay price? I mean, it's all over the place, unfortunately. And so it is frustrating. And I and so I understand totally why um, Bayou Sun is upset about it. And I totally get why game preservationists who pledged money to this would be upset. I totally get it. You're not in the wrong. I don't want to imply that at all. But unfortunately, this is that person's prerogative. They had the money. They bought it. And this is what happened. And so it's totally fine to be upset about it. I just don't think it's time to burn the whole preservationist thing down and be like, oh, you know, preservationist. Pres You're still doing good work. Keep up the good work. One slips by. Nine are getting done. I think that's I think that's a pretty good ratio if you ask me. All right, and so that's uh, that's it for the news stories today. So let's hit, let's hit the, uh, let's hit the the pickup pile. So here's the pickup pile. Um, first up is Raiden fighting uh, Raiden fighters aces for the Xbox 360. It's a great shmup um, that came out on the Xbox 360. Not many Japanese games made it to the 360, but this was one of them, and it's really good. 
Obviously, Raiden is a series that's been around a long time. And this actually has a couple games on it, I think. Uh, all three games have been authentically recreated for this collection and enhanced with new features. It's got Raiden Fighters, Raiden Fighters 2, and Raider, Raiden Fighters Jet. So really good shmup, Japanese shmup. Um, now, some of these pickups I maybe have necessarily not played yet. So if I don't know a lot about them, don't give me too hard of a time. But it's kind of a theme today is like a, a collection discs. Because next up, I have Tato Legends 1 for PS2 and Tato Legends 2 for PS2. So Tato Legends is basically just the arcade versions of some great games. Tato Legends 1 has 29 games on it. Tato Legends 2 has 35 games on it. Um, Dungeon Magic, Darius Gaiden, Puzzle Bobble 2. These are all on Tato Legends 2. Tato Legends 1 has Space Invaders, Jungle Hunt, Operation Wolf, Phoenix, Rainbow Islands, Space Invaders 2, Rostin, Gladiator, Ninja Kids, so much good stuff. So that was kind of the theme of my pickup pile for this week was uh, was uh, collections. So that was uh, that was cool. There's some really good stuff in there. Um, so next up, we're gonna do user question, and then we'll finish with um, we'll follow with my game of the week, and then we'll uh, we'll finish up. We'll be done. So my question of the week today, <laughs> my question of the week today says uh what was your first japanese rpg and what do you think the major differences are between jrpgs and western rpgs so jrpg stands for japanese rpgs just in case you didn't know oh my first japanese rpg um technically i want to say i remember watching a friend play dragon warrior on nes but i never really played it so i would have had to make the jump to super nintendo or genesis and i would say the first one i actually really played was probably chrono trigger or Fantasy Star 4. Those are going to be very much around the same time. Probably Chrono Trigger. Because I borrowed a Super Nintendo from a friend. I never had one growing up. Borrowed a Super Nintendo from a friend. Borrowed his copy of Chrono Trigger. And Chrono Trigger, uh, coincidentally enough, was the first game I ever skipped school to play. <laughs> I pretended to be sick. I stayed home and said, today I'm beating Lavos. Uh, spoiler, I did not beat Lavos. <laughs> I played the game all day <laughs> and I did not beat him. Uh, but it was uh, Colonel Trigger is is up there. Uh, so that and Fantasy Star 4 would have been the first two I put like actual real real time into. Um, and as far as the second part of the question, what are the differences between that and Western RPGs? Well, initially it was kind of play style. Like Japanese RPGs were always turn based. A lot of Western RPGs um, were were action oriented. Um, nowadays, though, that certainly gets blended as uh, people making Japanese RPGs in the West. So they're just RPGs now, but oftentimes Western RPGs are referred to as games with RPG elements that don't have typical RPG gameplay. So then you're running into stuff like technically Baldur's Gate is an RPG. Uh, so Baldur's Gate would be considered an, a Western RPG because Baldur's Gate is a top-down isometric view. It's almost more like the Dungeons and Dragons rule set. So Planescape Torment, Neverwinter Nights, those are kind of considered Western RPGs as, as opposed to Japanese RPGs, which were, you know, that turn-based combat, which obviously they've evolved too, and a lot of Japanese RPGs now have live-action combat, and some back in the day did, like, Star Ocean, Valkyrie Profile were Japanese RPGs that did real-time combat. Tales of Symphonia, Tales of Destiny uh, were always real-time combat games, so they, they exist, certainly. Um, and even Secret of Mana, you could argue, was an RPG, and that was live-action on the Super Nintendo. So, but that was how I always kind of differentiated, was Japanese RPGs typically were they, they started at least in that turn-based combat and then western rpgs were usually referenced as the dungeons and dragons style you know um ma uh 
and 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 uh, Elder Scrolls stuff. So your Elder Scrolls, your Dungeons and Dragons, your um, Baldur's Gate, you know, because Baldur's Gate is Dungeons and Dragons. So Baldur's Gate, uh, Neverwinter Nights, Icewind Dale, um, plain Pools of Radiance, Planescape Torment, stuff like that. Um, so that that's what I always I always kind of but obviously now it's completely blended now. But I think that's what people think of when they think of Japanese RPGs. Um, and then also you could argue the cutesy anime characters in Japanese RPGs, more rugged European medieval like like uh, European medieval times. A lot of times in Western RPGs because that was the history we knew. A lot of Japanese RPGs go for more of a you know they go for more of a kawaii, cute sort of. Uh, aesthetic i guess so um but again like i said it's totally blended now but that was back in the day that was kind of how you differentiated between the genres i think um was uh, was kind of how that worked and then uh our game of the week so this is the game you should play so again our pickup pile is what i bought recently but then our game of the week is our recommendation of the week so my recommendation of the week for the sega genesis we're still on our genesis kick Saturday Night Slam Masters. So Saturday Night Slam Masters is a wrestling game, but it's made by Capcom, and it was an arcade game. And Saturday Night Slam Masters is basically, it plays like a Capcom beat-em-up, but inside of a wrestling ring. So this is really good. Um, up to two players if you want to, uh, but you can bounce off the ropes. Like it's a, it's a wrestling game. It has wrestling physics instead of running down the street, like in final fight, beating guys up, you're in a wrestling ring, beating guys up, but it still has the same sort of life bar system and special move systems, uh, that, uh, that are known in those classic beat em ups. So check it out. It's very awesome. I want to say a loose cart's around 20 bucks and completing box is probably 35 to 40, just roughly in the price range. Uh, I haven't looked it up recently. I don't had this for a while. All right, and that is the podcast for today. Thank you, everybody, as always, for listening and watching. Um, if you are listening to this on SoundCloud, you can subscribe on iTunes. Just go to the podcast app and search for Game Talk Radio. If you're listening to this on iTunes or SoundCloud and you want to subscribe to us on YouTube, I would love that. We're getting very, very close to 5,000. That's my that's my latest goal, and then after that, it's 10K, 10K or nay. And, uh, and so we're about 150 away from 5,000 right now. We're gaining about 250 to 300 subs a month. So that's pretty awesome. I'm very, very proud of that. So every three months we get 1,000. So three times five, 15 months, about another year. Maybe by next October, a year October, we would be at that 10,000 mark if all keeps going well. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and so you can subscribe to us on YouTube at uh, just do youtube.com slash drop rate. And if you want to subscribe on Twitch, every Monday night on Twitch, we do our podcast, The Dropcast, and then we have uh, Tuesday, Jeremy usually streams Apex Legends and some Mordhaw, and I try to stream Thursday nights with my brother as well. Uh, so we do some streaming in there. That's twitch.tv slash the drop rate. So a little bit, little bit different, a little bit separate there. Um, so thank you as always, everybody, for always listening and watching. I love it. I appreciate it so much. I do this every week. I love doing it. As long as you keep watching and listening, I'll keep doing it. So thank you, everybody, as always. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.